For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Welcome to the podcast, In and Through exists to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. I'm Tim. And I'm Marshall. It's true. Yes, it is. Yep. How are you doing today? I haven't seen you at all today. I know. I came in late. I had a thing this morning. Yep. I've had something going on all morning as well. Okay. Multiple things just stitched to each other and... Right. So I could have told you that I was in my office in 7 a.m. and you'd be like, sure, dude. Yep, that's actually the truth. Yeah, no, I had some stuff this morning, so I was a a latecomer to the party. Yeah, well, what a party it is. Sure. (laughs) I like doing this, so I guess it's a party. This, Yeah, I've said it before, this is one of my favorite parts of every week, sitting down and doing the podcast. Uh, So here's what what we're doing uh, at this point in the podcast. We we mentioned last week that we're going to start... Uh, talking about evolution this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, evolution is a really big thing. It is. Uh, it's big in its scope, mm-hmm. and it's big in its visibility. We can't throw it into an episode, right. right? So it looks like, at this point, we're talking about six episodes. Yeah. Right? Uh, the episodes are going to break down like this. I, I just feel like it's best to throw out the table of contents now. Uh, now so we're th- nailing ourselves down to it. Right, right. And and this way, if, if someone's listening to this podcast and they're like, you did an episode on evolution and you didn't talk about... X, Y, Z. Right? Yeah, whatever. We're covered because we can we can pretend like we didn't forget <laughs> and it's just coming in the next episode. Right, right, right. right. Uh, and then if we get all the way through all of them and people are like, you never talked about it, we can be like, oh yeah, it was in one of the episodes. And mm. the odds that they're going to go back and listen to six episodes over again are so small. That they'll just be like, whatever, maybe I missed it. That's my plan. Okay. Uh, first things first, today's episode, how did we get here? Mm. How did we come to this place where all of a sudden, all of science and most of society, Western society, believes in Darwinian evolution, mm-hmm. right? Uh, next episode will be change by random mutation. Mm-hmm. The the fundamental elements unpacking what Darwin and, and Darwinian evolutionists believe about this mm-hmm. and uh, how it would take place and how we would address that, right? Uh, there's not going to be a, a whole lot of us unpacking how we would address the statements made by evolution today so much. Today's more of a background kind of a thing, mm-hmm. almost a throwback to the history podcast. In a little bit, yeah. 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 And uh, so change in random mutation uh, the third episode is going to be fossil record. What does the fossil record show about evolution? Uh, ch- uh, I almost said chapter four. Episode four is going to be uh, micro versus macro evolution. Right. This is this is a discussion that's talked about more in Christian circles than anywhere else, but right. I think it's a useful conversation. Sure. Uh, then we'll talk about some case studies. Um just along the way, the various case studies that are thrown out by evolutionists to say this is, the theory doesn't come from nothing. These are the things that we've observed and how they play out. And we'll examine some of those case studies. Uh, so we'll probably talk about Darwin's finches. Right, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and And others along the way. Sure. Uh, and then lastly, we're going to give an entire episode specifically to human beings. Yes. Uh, why? Because Darwin gives a book specifically to human beings. He right? does. He yep. has... 
Um, the origin of speech. You know what? Do I have the whole title here? There's this brilliant moment, man, and now I can't think of who does it. When um, you ever bring something up and you're like, I shouldn't have because I'm completely blanking all the time. Dawkins is going crazy on Christians and how badly Christians know the Bible mm. and how poorly they understand their own faith. Right. And it's in a conversation with John Lennox, I think. Okay. And Lennox says, what's the name of Darwin's book that introduced evolution? And he's like, The Origin of Species. And he's like, no, that's the condensed name. What's the name of the book? This book that you've based your entire life on, what's the name of the book? <laughs> and he can't think of it because it's like 16 words long. Uh, and that's awesome. And just creates... It just creates this funny moment where, and, and again, I think it's John Lennox, but I don't know for sure, but he even admits, he's like, this doesn't mean that you don't know um, the the fundamentals of that you're, you're speaking from. It's just, it's just worth noting that you can find something to mock in anyone's ignorance, <laughs> even well, your own. And I think it points to the value of understanding your quote-unquote opponent's position Mm-hmm. better than they do yeah right um again we're, we're not you know in, in classic you know 21st century fashion i'm not a biologist mm-hmm. but i think and my hope is that over this next you know month and a half ish depending on whether or not we actually stick to the six weeks or if it expands further or who knows what that compared to your average person on the street our listeners will have a better grasp of what evolutionary theory teaches as well as, you know, discussing some of the potential flaws in the, in that system. Uh, they'll, they'll have a better grasp of that than, than the average people on the street who claim that as their worldview. Um, again, you're, we might not be at the, the point where we're, you know, we're going toe to toe with, with a world renowned biologist, but you know, in, in the everyday type of interactions and conversations we might have with family members, neighbors, and colleagues, um, people will be prepared to answer because they have a, a foundational understanding of what it is that they're talking about. Yeah, and, and on that note, uh, understanding your opponent's position, um, this is where, this has really been the theme that's shaped much of my academic life. Mm. Right. I, I think I think a lot of times we come to our positions by echo chambering. Right. Right. right, right. We we find the position that we agree with and we find those people who affirm that and we spend all of our time there. Mm. Mm-hmm. And we we demonize, sometimes rightly, sometimes not, we demonize the positions and the people who oppose us. And what we end up with oftentimes then is rather than a representation, we end up with a caricature. Right. Straw men. Right. And and so I think I think a lot of people would be surprised to find out that some of the positions that I hold to most as, as just being most convinced, mm-hmm. right, um, all came from studying those who would promote an opposite position. Right. Right? Looking into it and saying, 
um, what is it that you're actually teaching and where did your information come from? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's important to note that because some people hear this and they're like, wait, 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 Marshall and Tim are going to take a moment to teach evolution. Right. What is evolution <laughs> and how does it work? That's a dangerous thing because you might cause some people to go, no, that's more convincing. Right. Yeah. But here's the thing. It's not. Yeah. And hiding from it only allows the other voices who aren't willing to also note the difficulties in it, right? We don't need to burn down all of it. Surprise, surprise. There are going to be portions of evolution theory that we're going to say not unreasonable, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, You get a group of people isolated in a society through time, they start taking on common characteristics. Sure. Through heredity and genetics. Yeah. Or it's certain, happen. certain characteristics are going to prove themselves to be useful yep. in survival. Right. Sure. Yeah. And so so there are small portions of it, but the greater the greater portion we're going to reject entirely. Mm-hmm. And in part, the way you do that is you have to understand the position taken. Right. Right. So I came to complementarianism by reading egalitarian books. Right. That was my position. Mm-hmm. Um, I took a class on dispensationalism and became an all-millennial. Right, right. right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and so on with a number of various other things, including today's topic. When I was young and in ministry, I, I, I did this thing. We, we've talked about it here before, how sometimes people um, come at a, a situation as if no one has ever thought about this before or talked about it before. And they just have this arrogance about themselves of like, well, I have a question and no one has ever asked this question. And right. and the truth is they just haven't really looked into it long enough. Right, and, right. And because it's new to you, you assume it's new. Um, the reason I, I point that out is not to disparage, it's to identify. That's me. Mm. That's who I was for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And there was a point in time when I was a young minister and I would say probably 20, 21, so I'd been at it for just a couple of years, when I thought, hey, you know what, maybe the reason the church is so hard against evolution is because no one's ever actually read Darwin. Right. And so, um, <laughs> which is stupid, right? Sure, but when you're 21... And I had never read Darwin, sure. so what did I know? So I bought a book called Darwin. And it's the collected works, um, including Origin of Species, which we'll talk a little bit about today, Mm -hmm. and uh, The the Ascent of Man, which we'll talk about uh, in episode six, Mm -hmm. and these kinds of things, and scribbling all kinds of notes and everything, and then sort of in the end of it was like, no, I I see why the church is so hard against this. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, so part of it, Tim, and I know you have a couple things to say on this, is that Darwin and his views were not entirely new. No. Right? So so oftentimes Darwin gets, you know, by both his um, fans and his detractors, gets positioned as this guy who all on his own came up with this entirely new idea, this entirely new thing, and he alone, as this kind of one man against everything, presented this new view, and it's either... The worst thing ever or the best thing ever. Right. And it's all on him. But that's mm-hmm. not necessarily true, right? No, no. And and to be honest with you, it, it never is. 
about anything. <laughs> yeah, that's also true. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there were some foundational kind of opinions within science prior to him kind of coming to mm-hmm. to his own and coming to his own conclusions and his own studies that kind of laid a bit of a foundation. Like naturalism wasn't a brand new thing, right? right. Like he, Darwin was not the first naturalist. And by naturalism, we mean that like all things exist just through the natural order without any kind of supernatural influence or, or power or anything, right? Mm-hmm. That stuff just begets stuff and stuff is always being, and that's just the way it is, right? right? That, that had already existed since, I mean, partly through the Enlightenment period, right? There were, there were various um, philosophers and thinkers, and even some scientists who, who were of that mindset. Mm-hmm. That kind of laid a bit of a foundation for Darwin then to, to build on. Yeah, um, and I would even say it goes deeper than the scientific community, mm. because even in, in ancient mythology, you have... Uh, things like a demigod, right? What does the demigod come from? It is the child of a god mm-hmm. and a human okay. <laughs> that now bears to varying degrees the benefits and or the limitations of its parents. Right, right. right okay. Which, which I think a lot of people would look at and they'd be like, okay, so we're getting into mythical characters <laughs> and maybe that's not science and evolution. But what it is, is it shows mindset. Genetics wasn't a thing for thousands of years beyond those books being written, those stories being told, right? Right, right, right. Yet, there is something of an understanding of how genetics work. Right. It doesn't take, you know, science and thousands of years for people to look and go, oh, that baby kind of looks like his parents. Right. Right? He has his mom's eyes and his dad's chin, right? right? right Whatever right. it is, mm-hmm. to be able to look and to note that characteristics are passed down. Right. So it's not like Darwin goes to the Galapagos, sees a couple of birds, spoiler, <laughs> we're getting into stuff that's going to be, and all of a sudden he's just like, hey, here's an idea. Babies look like their parents. <laughs> and everyone just, just mind blown, right? Right. right. Uh, so there is this sort of forever understood underlying thing, mm-hmm. but it's being discussed in the 19th century, uh, by a number of scientists, lots of French scientists are talking about this concept of transmutation, mm. uh, beneficial and non-beneficial characteristics being passed on and how these can make, uh, life more accessible, more sustainable, or less mm. along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty pretty basic stuff, right? Like, sure, we all have, uh, if not ourselves, you know, family members who who deal with disease that is hereditary, right? And you would look and you would say that is an inherited characteristic mm-hmm. that is limiting, sure, right? Yeah. Or you look at look at the Blue Jays. Mm. The yeah. Blue Jays roster, <laughs> yeah, I know, <laughs> reads. If you just take the last names, the Blue Jays roster reads like an all-star team from the '90s, right? Right? Yeah. Why? Because these guys, along with training, they are exposed to sure. the best training available. Sure. But they also receive the genes of superstar athletes, and athletes have more and more been having children who grow up and become professional athletes, right? Mm-hmm. 
again, it's nature and nurture in that particular sure. environment. Yeah. But it's it's not all of one and none of the other. Right. 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 And so these kinds of observations are taking place. Transmutation takes it a bit further, and uh, it's it's met with varying degrees of acceptance and rejection. Mm. Uh, but it is an underlying conversation going on in the background as Darwin heads out. Right. Yeah. 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 So let's let's talk a bit about Charles Darwin. I've just got a bit of a biographical sketch for for him. Um, so he was born in 1809 in Shrewsbury, England. If Shrewsbury isn't the most English name oh, yeah. ever, I don't know what it is. But in any case, uh, he was born to a, a wealthy family. Um, his family were loosely um, connected to the Anglican Church, but they were more. Uh, more Unitarian in their beliefs. So Unitarian, today Unitarian, when we hear the word Unitarian, we think of kind of like, um, you know, wanting all denominations to be together. At that time, it had more to do with, they didn't believe in the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Um, so they didn't see, so Jesus was, well, anyone who's li- listened to our um, our church history podcast, they, they would be heretics yeah essentially of the first order um and generally unitarians also had a very low view of scripture so it was kind of like it was it was unitarians at that point kind of maintained a semblance of christianity but but divorced from any kind of like the historical doctrines Mm -hmm. right protestant or catholic like they were just totally off base yeah like like we have a lot of denominations today who claim Mm-hmm. the Christian faith, and they want the Christian title, mm-hmm. but they don't hold to Christian teachings. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So um, his father was a physician, um, so he apprenticed in medicine under his father before studying at the University of Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. He wasn't a particularly good student. Um, he was bored with his lectures. He didn't like surgery. He got a little squeamish. Um, so he dropped out of medical school and ironically went to Christ College at Cambridge. Right. <laughs> Where he was initially, initially the purpose was for him to focus on preparing for ministry mm-hmm. again, but eventually he shifted his studies more towards the natural sciences because those were the things that he was, he was most interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, now he had, he'd made various connections with different people, like-minded people. He was very, like as a young man growing up, like he was all about like collecting beetles and shells and all that. He was fascinated with the biodiversity right was a thing that he was really into and so you know after he kind of gets his education done he's encouraged to embark on this voyage on a very famous ship called the hms beagle it was supposed to be a two-year voyage that was going to be exploring the coast of south america and then kind of passing through the pacific before its return um the departure was delayed, but it ended up leaving in 1831. But it wasn't going to be a two-year voyage. It was actually going to be a five-year voyage. Um, Darwin's dad was not uh, in favor of this. Sure. But, you know, his 20-something-year-old son went off and did it anyways. Um, and during his travels, um, he has these he has these different experiences. So, like, he notices, you know, in certain layers of rock, volcanic rock, he notices, oh, those look like shells there. Those, you know, that's interesting. He notices different species of animals. Um, he has interaction with with native South Americans, um, and in this, in his journals, he talks about them. You know, oh, well, they're they're human, but they're. <laughs> 
he he almost begins this kind of idea of like them being well why are they so different right they seem closer to animals than to people but they're still people so it it this kind of reinforced his 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 the idea that he already had that humans had um, come from animals and so you see this kind of in his correspondence and there's all these different experiences and things that he witnesses right he he starts at this point like um taking socioeconomic and and education and applying it to the biological world right everything's biological right and yeah. so and so it is it is it is so very difficult to even talk about this because it's so cringy it is very cringy um to to call any person or group of people subcategories of human mm-hmm. it's it is just something that in today's world mm-hmm. rightly so mm-hmm. is completely off off the table yeah not a thing to be discussed right but as a historical understanding of where darwin starts and this is mostly episode six stuff where we'll get into it deeper. Sure, sure, sure. Um, but just that notion, even inside of human beings, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's like so for him, the idea that you could have taken one of the the young children from this South American tribe, if you had transplanted them into England and given them the same education he had, in his mind, he's like, "There's no way they could have right gotten to the place that I've gotten to." Right. Because it's less about their privilege and this hereditary, and, and more about their their nature yeah exactly right so and so that's not where that's not where he's at and unfortunately as we'll discuss later a lot of people picked up on that Um, eventually he arrives at his most famous destination which was the galapagos islands which were uh, recently relatively recently discovered grouping of islands Mm -hmm. in, in the pacific very remote um and there he notices variations in species, which, again, we'll dig into a little bit more later on, but variations of um, certain types of birds, most famously finches, but also tortoises. And he notices, okay, well, like, you know, on this island, the tortoises have a slightly different shell than these ones, and the, you know, the birds have a slightly different shaped beak than these ones. And so, again, this is all just kind of like building and, and kind of cementing his views on things and, and are going to be kind of a, a foundational uh, personal research for him and what he's going to later publish. Um, by 1836, the, the HMS Beagle finally returns to England and there he's introduced to a number of people because actually some of his correspondence has actually traveled faster than he has. Mm-hmm. So people are aware of him and what he's studying back home in England and particularly amongst the naturalist uh, naturalists rather, um, he's, he's becoming somewhat famous. And so a guy by the name of Charles Lyle, um, gets in contact with him. He was one of these guys who was an earlier, uh, an early paleontologist, I guess you could call him, who was examining skeletons of extinct animal species from South America, right? These giant animals that no longer, no longer live. Um, but his, but Lyle Mm -hmm. decided that they do still live. They had just changed. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So there is there is some distinction between their views, but they work together. And so and so through this, you know, Darwin is beginning to theorize that species change over time. Um, and so over the next decade, he continues his research and he begins publishing these famous essays and books. Some of those books which are included in, in your combined collection mm-hmm. on the subject of how species 
change, right? How, why slightly different creatures perform slightly different functions based on their different environments, right? Right. And so eventually his most famous one, I don't know if that's the one you're going to, but is no, the, no, no, it's not. It's not. I okay. just know that for a fact because. Okay. So it's not the origin of species. It's a very off the cuff thing. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's see. Let's, we'll get, let's, no, we'll, we'll get to it later. So, yeah. So in, in 1859, he publishes the, the origin of species, which is hugely popular mm-hmm. and was widely anticipated again w- within a, a, a pretty narrow substrata of the population, but for, for people who were particularly interested in, in this specific thing. And so he argued for common descent. So he know you know he argued that there was there were similarities between humans and other mammals and different kinds of fish and different kinds of birds and so this idea of there's a common ancestor mm-hmm. is, was kind of his something that he proposed um, and also the idea of natural selections or what we what we might call like survival of the fittest right were kind of these foundational ideas that he kind of laid out as the basis of why things are the way that they are mm-hmm. right yeah and. So we, we already said that there are people talking about this and and, and here here's how collective thinking works, mm-hmm. right? Uh so just recently we had Ed Sharon who was uh in court for oh, yeah. potentially having stolen a song um from Marvin Gaye. Right. I heard about that. Yeah. And and so the the argument was no, it's not the same it's not the same sounds. Like you can't mm-hmm overlay the two musical tracks and get the same thing but the feel is there okay and the spirit of the song musically is there okay which is really loose right loose (laughs) and so so what then they have to prove in order to find ed sharon guilty in this is that he sat down and heard that song which was unique Mm -hmm. and tried to recreate it but the truth is this Soul music has been out for a long time. And there's predecessors to soul, right? And so who doesn't know Marvin Gaye, right? Mm-hmm. And and if you listen to this music and its influences and take a little here and a little there and all that kind of stuff in your jobs to write music and you have a little bit of soul in it yourself, you're going to take all of this stuff that has been out there mm-hmm. And you're going to spin it into a thing that is just going to come out with similar characteristics, yeah. right? And so, well, because music works in 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 patterns, like within like keys and mm-hmm. and 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 um, scales and whatnot. So there's only like there's only so much variation of music which mm-hmm. can still be musical, right? And, there's and, a limited amount of what people can listen to and say. That is music. Right. And you want to limit it and be like, I'm going to play something with a groove. You've just pulled it down further. Right. Right. right and right. so science is, and, and most collective thought is not different in that. Mm-hmm. Right. You're limited to this is scientific method. This is what we want to reduce everything down to. Uh, naturalistic science at that. Mm. And you're going to talk about. Uh, how we came to a place of variety. And all of a sudden, all of these things that had been sort of going on, this isn't to say that he's just like stolen from someone else and recreated it, but it it's all just created sort of an environment where these things consolidate in his mind and he, he puts them forward. Hmm. And, and he's not saying things that are profoundly different in some instances than what other people are saying, but somehow he becomes the one 
that takes this thing like with transmutation where it wasn't exactly said in a way that people were comfortable with. Some were, some weren't, but they become desensitized over time to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then he drops a, a similar but slightly different thing that is just going to hit at the right time and place. Right, right. Maybe maybe you could take, uh, just to kind of keep it in the music thing, maybe you could take some of the uh, African-American musicians of the 50s and 60s mm-hmm. and then be like, they were doing this thing, they were under underground, popular in groups, but not mm-hmm. popular globally. Elvis sings their songs mm. and all of a sudden Elvis is the king of rock and roll. Right. <laughs> right? And and that's a bit of Darwin's coming to, mm. right? Mm-hmm. This thing mm-hmm. is going on. His just happens to be the one that people grab. Right. Yeah. And, and and in some ways, that's not to discredit Elvis can play and sing and all those things, right? And And Darwin is a biologist and capable of thinking and pulling mm-hmm. these things together in a way that people will grasp. Uh, but, but he's a product of his environment. Mm. And, um, and he drops his writings at just the right time for people to grab it and say, right. this is the thing that we want. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, and I think probably his travels... I think just the fantastic nature. Bring some valid, yeah. Some you know big, what I mean? Like he's an newness. explorer. He's been yeah. places you've never even imagined, right? Like that's going to add some weightiness to yeah. to what he's saying, right? Rather than some guy, you know, some Frenchman who's lived in Paris his whole life and hasn't been further than fifty miles from the city, right? Right, and and also at the same time that he's doing this, unaware uh, to this, there are other scientists doing thing. I can't think of the guy's name at this point. This is becoming a theme of the episode mm. uh he who's crossbreeding peas right and getting different color flowers and those kinds of things and and so what happens is there's a little bit of of sort of stirring the waters we have darwin come in and drop this thing that everyone grabs onto and immediately thereafter there's genetic experiments that come in and say hey We've this can be tested and proved, right? Mendel. Mendel, yes. Uh, so there's there's just it just is a perfect storm. Yeah, for this. Well, I think even within and and people who are um, again familiar with our 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 theological because we we have to. I think now a lot of people see like where the church is at and what the church teaches as a, such a fringe thing of society. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that there are some changes in, um, the theological world of Western Europe that really primed this as well. Right. Mm -hmm. Because at, because that was still a time when where the church was at or where the, the great thinkers of the church were at greatly shaped how people were going to view everything else. And of course we've got, you know, the, the advent of, of German liberalism, uh, in this kind of like this this doubtfulness of not only the the scriptural narrative but even the attributes of God as they're as they're described and, and all of this is also this underpinning right and I think the idea of like people were were ready for an explanation mm-hmm. um, that would discount the biblical narrative and even the the necessity of a creator right because because even now we'll we'll say time and again uh, throughout these next six episodes there is a real desire. We've talked about it even in past episodes, a real desire to come to a way of explaining what is without a creative God, mm-hmm. right? Uh, 
because if there is a creative God, then there's an authority. Right. And he has to be accounted for, and we are not fully autonomous. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And so this is this is not something that has come to be known. I, I think some people might say, well, Christians have reacted to evolution, which was taking place in this sort of like moral or theological vacuum, and Christians have taken it to be an attack um, on their view in in a modern era, mm. which is which is not the case. Thus, the much much anticipated opening of this book. So, uh, Andrew Dixon White in 1869 says this about Darwin, uh, talking about an address that was given. He says, in an address given before academia, which had been organized to combat science falsely so-called, Cardinal Manning declared his abhorrence of this new view of nature and described it as a brutal philosophy to which there is no God and the ape is our Adam. Mm. Right? So. Right. That's still in the 19th century. Sure. Yeah. Right? This is contemporaneous kind of thought that, mm-hmm. that even then people realize what you're doing mm-hmm. is trying to undermine the biblical perspective. Right? So that's not, that's not modern reaction. That has been the reaction of the church even from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Church of England itself, because that was kind of the, the center point for for Darwin's teaching because it happened in the English world was divided, and mm-hmm. and their 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 reception was divided along, along the exact lines that you would ex- suspect, right? So the more theologically conservative elements of the Church of England were doubtful, and the more liberal elements of the Church of England em- embraced it to lesser and greater degrees. Yeah, by the nature of of the liberalism of the time, right? Mm. The notion that we want to be more accepted by the academic world mm-hmm. because we don't want we've we've given so much credit to the wisdom of man to mm-hmm. what we call the academic world and man's findings mm-hmm. that if they think less of us it's probably true and they just need the affirmation of those they would consider wise mm-hmm. now forget that Paul tells Corinth that the gospel of Jesus Christ would make the wise to be foolish. Right. Right? And the fools to be wise. Right. Right? Um, That notwithstanding, they decided, no, the world is wise, Mm -hmm. and they think that we're fools, and we need to adapt to that. And and, and not giving space to say, maybe the Bible is still the better answer, Mm -hmm. the better scientific answer. Mm -hmm. And maybe as is pointed out here in 1896, maybe there's an agenda behind this to create a system that everyone can cling to and then take a collective sigh to say, okay, good. Mm -hmm. We don't need God. Right, right. We have our own system. We have an understanding that doesn't require God, Mm -hmm. which bizarrely doesn't work because it still doesn't, attest to the origin of life or sure. cosmological origins or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's just how things change. Right. Um, so it fails at that. But but nevertheless, there is a scientific system in place that we can collectively say, let's use this and mm-hmm. not God. Right. And I think that's something that 
I mean, that speaks to the propagation of this view, right? Which was, you know, initially something that was kind of reserved for the halls of academia and in, you know, maybe even held by a minority of people within those those mm-hmm. institutions. And then suddenly fast forward a hundred years and it's presented as the only reasonable view. Right. Hard stop. Right. Because it has to be, because without this view, what do you have? Right. There, there is no other secular view. Right. Of note. And, and even before that, there was just not a secular view of acceptance. Right. Right. So either you have this or you have God. Right. And if you don't want God, this is you're you left have. with this. Yeah. Yeah. And so this was, I mean, it was propagated relatively quickly. Now, now to his credit, like, I mean, Darwin, Darwin himself would say that, like, you know, you could be a theist and an evolutionist. That's, you know, in, that's what he himself mm-hmm. said. Early on. Early on. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and later, you know, towards the end of his life before he died, um, you know, would mention that, you know, he's not necessarily an atheist in the in the sense of denying the existence of God, but would, you know, consider him to be more agnostic, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. However, this very quickly becomes the thing that an atheistic worldview clings to desperately. Yeah. Because this is a way. Here we go. Finally, we've gotten out, right? Because up until then, it's like, well, why are things the way that they are? Why is there mm-hmm. stuff instead of not stuff? Well, here's the thing. It doesn't answer all the questions. Well, not really, but it, it's scientific enough and it's comprehensive enough that we can hold to this as a preferable system to, you know, not just... Th- Christianity more specifically, but theism mm-hmm. more generally. Yeah, and I, I think his I think his claim to say you can be a, an evolutionist and a theist is less about the characteristics of evolution and theism and where they conflict and more about a social structure. Mm. Right? In in the time, even though uh there are a good number of, of secularists out there who are trying to move away from uh, the the social understanding of, of God as, as an understood, right? It's still, it's still just too fresh and too taboo mm. to walk out on a stage and say, I reject God, there's no need for God, right? Like mm. these things, these things come in slides, even in the own human heart, right? They come in, they come in slides and in gradations, mm-hmm. um, where they slowly start opening up, right? right? right. And so him coming in and, and saying this, like, as we work through it, we'll, we will ask the question, can you be a theist and an evolutionist mm-hmm. at the same time, right? Um, we'll get to that, but I don't think that what he's putting forth is, as many people will, as many Christians will say, evolution is the means by which God brought about the natural world that we have. Mm-hmm. That doesn't stand, um, and that's not what Darwin's trying to say. No, that was not what he was yeah. going for. Yeah, that the the Christian quote unquote Christian evolutionism, and again we can we can dig more into that later, right? Um, but is not what Darwin was proposing. Mm-hmm. That is kind of people trying to please both sides mm-hmm. in a way that pleases neither side. Yeah. Um, so have fun with that. Yeah, <laughs> for those who hold to it. Yeah, um. and and back to back to our timetable, right? Because we do need to finish. Sorry, the yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, this becomes 
something that's cling to mm-hmm. by academics. Yep. And so it becomes the thing taught. Yeah, it becomes promoted. Uh, Carnegie, yep. who who is uh, <laughs> like beyond wealthy for his time and built all the libraries. I mean, the library where I'm living in Woodstock now, it's a Carnegie library, mm-hmm. right? Um, who is a big proponent of education and did a lot of good things. I don't want to throw Carnegie into the bus, mm-hmm. uh, but but he was a, he was an advocate of this view. And so it gets kind of you know promoted through the powers that be right. um, into the, the education system. The amount of social change that comes through universities is incredible. Oh yeah. Right? And and this just can't be denied. Oh yeah. Right? And so so we would look at it today uh, because I I I want to leap forward to today sure. in order to make more sense of the history building up to today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? Today, if you have the conversation to say um I'm not so sure about evolution. People people will maybe scoff or laugh like it's ridiculous that you wouldn't hold to evolution it's silly i you must be like the way out there kind of fundamentalist neanderthal yeah um which you would deny because you would say i don't believe in neanderthals Um, (laughs) (laughs) you would you would you would need to be way out there because everyone this is just understood to be true yeah right but why is it understood to be true Mm mm-hmm why is it, it's not understood to be true because it doesn't have holes mm-hmm. oh, or it has because holes. it's indefensible. Yeah. It's understood to be true because as we see academics cling to this, those academics be, are, are at this point research fellows and university professors. Mm-hmm. That's academia where all of this is taking place. Yeah. What do those people do when they're not researching? Mm-hmm. They teach. Mm-hmm. And university students become academia and teachers Mm -hmm. to lower degrees, right? And so now, within just a generation, Mm -hmm. you can find yourself in a place where your professors and those who are teaching in high schools and elementaries are teaching this new way. Yeah. And, And it can flip really quickly. And I, yeah, I think I think to illustrate that now, when I'm going to drop this name, everybody calm down because I'm not <laughs> I'm not giving a full endorsement to everything that this person has sure. said. But this is this is an individual who's relatively local to us and can illustrate this point. When gender theory flipped from gender is your biological sex, male and female, that's what it is, mm-hmm. and suddenly in a very short period of time. Um, it was like, no, 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 that's no good anymore. It's whatever people feel like, and you have to acknowledge that. And it's, there was one Canadian university professor who said, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't agree. I don't agree. Mm -hmm. And he has become probably one of the most controversial figures in academia. And, Mm -hmm. and in, in fact, like he's like, they're working to revoke his ability to even teach in this country. Um, and he's been like called out by the political system here in Canada as being this terrible human being. Now, again, I don't, I'm not here to defend everything that Jordan Peterson says. Sure. But he was one, right. one psychology prof who was just like, I'm not down with this yeah. new narrative. And suddenly it's like, you don't belong here anymore. The point is not to side. The point is just to say, this is how you it can, works. You can see how aggressive 
Yes. People in academia can come against dissension. Yeah. Right? And it's not even dissension as in, like, I have a new idea. No. It's dissension as in I, I hold to the more traditional perspective. I hold the old idea. Yeah. The first time I heard of Jordan Peterson was when a substitute uh, undergrad student needed a last-minute something for a sociology class mm. and at the University of Waterloo, I believe. And she showed U of T. U of T. Okay. And so oh, she maybe. showed a video mm. of, because she wasn't working for him just. Oh, sip. okay. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. She showed a video of Jordan Peterson mm -hmm. just to say, this is a perspective. Let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. And people were so offended that she would even show the video that someone might actually agree with it, <laughs> that they came after Jordan Peterson. They came after her professor who threw her under the bus mm -hmm. and came after her as a grad assistant like being removed from the university, right? Because we ha we know what we're going to teach and we're going to move forward. Yeah. More personally, uh, I had um, a, a young man in my church who was, uh, in, when I was in Toronto, who was really up and coming in the conservative uh, government party and uh, was leading campaigns and, and things like that locally, decided he was going to get his master's degree uh, at U of T and was told by his uh, by the professor who was going to have to sign off on his application, you passed your bachelor's because it's just a bachelor's degree and a bachelor's degree in political science doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You will not pass your master's degree. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I have straight A's. And he's like, yeah, but you're a conservative and you have straight A's because I'm not just going to blast your positions all the time. Mm -hmm. But when you have a master's degree, that means something and you will not graduate. Right. That and, was, and so, and, and so many Christians, I just, sorry, this is, I mean, I know I've kind of said this stuff before, but like, and so many Christians are like, I can't believe like little Susie went off to university of Waterloo and came back an atheist. It's like, you shouldn't be surprised. Yeah, no. This this is what they, they are. They are secularization and liberalize liberalization, if that's even a verb. Right. Factories. That's what they do. And if you don't align with the predominant view, they will crush you. Yeah. And his professor told him. He said, "If you want a master's in political science, you're going to have to go to Alberta to get it. Wow. You have to leave the province that's to cool. find a school that's going to give you a degree. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. But. And and so, so this kind of thing. This kind of thing happens as it becomes a thing, right? Right. And so now you go in and you're like, okay, do we want a variety of academics? No, we want, we have this notion, we want to perpetuate the notion. So you come in as a scientist, you want to get your first job as a teacher at a school, and they say, hey, let's talk about some of the papers you've written. You, you need to be published in order to be a professor. Of course. Right? So let's talk about things that you've published. And they find that you've published something on creationism, they're like, that's unacceptable. Mm -hmm. And so you don't become a professor. And so you never have a voice, right? And so this happening for a hundred plus years has gotten us to a place where, of course, every academic believes this to be true. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't be an academic without it. Yeah. That is not to say they wouldn't be intelligent. It is to say they wouldn't have a job in academia. Right. Yeah. There's no room for them here if they don't subscribe to the predominant view. Right. So I, in some ways, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, yeah. Like to the point where like we were discussing this, we were talking about like what we were taught in school. And I was like, well, I went to Catholic school 
And in Catholic school, Darwinian evolution was the only explanation that was taught in a ostensibly Roman Catholic institution, right? Like we never even, there was no discussion about like, well, and this is, you know, contrary to what, you know, the church teaches. There was no like, well, here's an alternative explanation for intelligent design or here, you know, while Darwinian evolution needs to be taught, here are the potential flaws in it. It was just, this is what it is. Now write the test, please. In a Catholic school, right? So that's that's right. where we are now, right? Right, right, yeah. And I didn't have that as much. Right. I right. grew up in a very rural Bible Belt town mm-hmm. where my youth pastor was also my science teacher. Oh, nice. So I had a little bit of... <laughs> you got a reprieve. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Coach Reeves, for, yeah. for that. But uh, yeah, a little bit of a, a different situation. Sure. But we still learned it. Right, of course. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 So that's where we're at. That is where we're at. That is the baseline that we're going to be operating from. This is this is a, a wildly polarizing thing. Of course. Right? In, in fact, one of the things that we've mentioned a couple of times, just because I've seen uh, seen it out there, is, is that there are academics asking questions about the viability of uh, evolution as the standalone secular option. Mm-hmm. And, and what else might be out there. Mm-hmm. Um, Googling that is nearly impossible. Yeah. Because here's what happens. Those who say this is true, academics are starting to question that, are always Christian resources. Right. 100% of the time. Yeah. Those academics who are asking the questions are not getting published. Right. And they're not getting talked about on secular sites. Right. And so there's this point where you can be like, like, oh, well, these Christians want to paint this picture of academics who are walking away from this because it helps their side. Yeah. Right. <laughs> True. 100 percent. Sure. That's that's a thing. Right. I'm not going to pretend like it isn't. Um, but at the same time, one, the cost of dissension. Yeah. They'll make sure the cost that it, of open dissension. They'll make sure that if you walk away, you're not considered an academic right. anymore. So, so it doesn't. It doesn't. And so they work. can they can still say no academic <laughs> believes this, uh, and they're not going to write about it. Right. Of course not. Right. Course not. And they're not going to publish your paper about it. No. Of course not. Because they would say this is mythical and right. we're science. Right, right. Right. And and the opposite is true. Right. You you just have this you just have this huge polarization where we've become so conflicted in these things, you you can't find a middle ground, right? And and here's our goal in in all of these things, um, we're not going to take a middle ground as to say, well, we kind of think that is true, but creationism might also kind of be true. That's not the kind of middle ground we we just want to do a fair perspective. Sure. In the same way, we opened the episode by saying. Um, most of my deepest seated positions come from studying the opposition, mm-hmm. even more so than studying those who might agree with me. This is one of them. Yeah. And I think we can go through this process of studying the opposition and saying, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. I have genuine questions yeah. to ask in this. Yeah. The low hanging fruit for us in our research would just be going to like Creation Ministries website. And I'm not trying to knock them and what they mm-hmm. do, but the low hanging fruit for us would just be go to their website and just, you know, regurgitate their talking points to our listeners. Yep. But we're not going to do that. No, 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 no. And uh, and so what I what I want to do is I want to present their points 
mm-hmm. and then just ask questions about them. Yeah. Now, those who it, th- this may be something gets you really excited, and you're like, "Oh, I'm gonna give this to my grandson or whatever," right? Like, awesome, do it. Uh, one of the, the combat that is going to come against everything that we talk about is the God of the Gap theory, mm. right? Where they're going to say, every time there's a, a question, you're just going to say, but God, mm-hmm. right? That's always the Christian answer. I understand that. I don't think it's a bad statement. I think no. it's a reasonable statement. But the funny thing is, as we go through these things, you're going to find out that there's not a secular version of that. Right? Because there's just not a thing. And as we present the secular positions and we ask questions, there are fewer answers to the questions. And mostly what you get is criticism saying, oh, this question probably came to you from a Christian fundamentalist because they ask this question all the time. Mm-hmm. And then it goes unanswered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is which has been frustratingly true in my research. Yeah. Like yeah. looking for genuine, honest answers to mm-hmm. some of the questions I ask. When I ask a question, how does evolution explain? And I type in my primary questions. Mm-hmm. So much of the research out there is just... Christians are always bringing this up. Yeah, don't bother answering them because they're a bunch of loonies. So, <laughs> right. like, we don't have no, to answer this, this this scientific question. That's genuinely the thing. <laughs> and and our dude from the philosophy side of things oh, yeah. also does a couple of PBS <laughs> things on the biology side of it, too. And I was like, I know you. <laughs> I know that guy. Uh, yeah, so, I'd love to meet that guy one day. Yeah, he seems like a nice enough guy. Yeah. If, if, there is, if there is an answer, it would be time and chance. Yeah, as yeah. As they're their sort of god, go-to, but their god of the gaps is time and time and chance, yeah, right? So they're yeah. they're god. So for us, the god the god of the gaps is how do we explain this? God. They're like you ask them how do we explain this? Time, time and chance, yeah. time and chance. But yeah. what, some of the questions we're going to ask in upcoming weeks are going to really stretch the ability mm-hmm. of time and chance to yeah. even be reasonable answers for those questions. But, yeah. So if you if you grew up in in education where just like Darwinian evolution was the only real option and it's always been a little intimidating for you i hope that by the end of these episodes you'll look at it and you'll say now you know what that's not a better option right that's not a better option there are serious questions that have to be answered Mm -hmm. that evolution just doesn't even come close to answering yeah yeah yep all right well thanks for listening this podcast is a resource of memorial baptist church in stratford ontario in cooperation with the gospel coalition of canada is produced by alex walker see you next time see you